Uh, without further ado, uh, it's going to come up on the screen, the first two verses. Uh, do uh, bring your Bibles along tomorrow if you would like to, but uh, they're going to be on the screen as well. And let me read the first two verses of Peter's first letter. So it says, Peter, that's his name, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. There's something to pray for right at the start. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I pray that that is what each one of us might know this weekend. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, uh, there's something you know I've recently gone on to school, um, and for the first two weeks of this year, uh, the Sabbath was six weeks, the first two weeks, I had a really tough job of um, suffering for the gospel by going to Verbier, Switzerland. Um, and I was the chaplain at the English speaking church out of Verbier. Uh, it was a tough gig, somebody had to do it. Um, and I did uh, two weeks here uh, with a tiny bit of chaplaincy thrown in. When I was a 14 year old, came out with me for the first week. He never skied before, other than two days on a very roadie dry uh, ski slope in Aldershot. I've skied quite a few times uh, in the past, but I haven't done it in the last 16 years since having children. Anyway, Boaz was seriously good at it. He picked it up, uh, next slide please, and he picked it up incredibly fast. Uh, day four, um, we were, next slide again please, uh, day four we were right at the top of uh, the highest peak uh, in Bergen, Montfort, at the top of a very steep black run, which is the most tricky one, so as you don't see, full of moguls. You can see all the bobbly bits, uh, big bumps, basically. And we uh, just started trying to go down this mogul run, right at the top, uh, sort of famous, typical black run. And uh, trying to get down it without killing ourselves, it started snowing, just as we started, and there was a complete wipeout. And uh, I think that's a big wipeout, there was a wipeout too. Um, and uh, <laughs> those of you who, who have been skiing will know that on the side of a piece, uh, there are poles and markers, so you can see where the piece is, so that you don't go off piece. But suddenly we couldn't see any poles anywhere, we could not see a thing. Uh, and as if that wasn't petrifying enough, not being able to see anything, complete whiteout, loads of people did start wiping out, because they thought they were too good at skiing, and suddenly it wiped out. And there were people just hurt, and literally, there's suddenly about sort of 10 in the space of a minute, people just crashing and hurtling down skis and everything, the poles flying. One person hurt, uh, crashed just above us, hurtled down, took bars out like a sort of skittle, uh, and just missed me as well. And I was petrified. And I'll tell you about Boaz in a bit, but I was scared. I was thinking, what on earth am I doing? How could I be so stupid to take both myself up here on Bo's fourth day skiing? I'm lost, I'm fearful, I'm feeling weak and exhausted, and I am a bit of a mess. And as you picture that scene, uh, I guess I want to say, I think that is how many of us Indeed, many in the world are feeling today. Lost, fearful, feeling weak and exhausted, and a bit of a mess. You know, those in Ukraine, uh, many of the Russian soldiers too, of course, in an extreme way, feeling those things. We'll spend some time this weekend praying uh, for the whole situation. But for many of us also, particularly after two years of the pandemic, seemingly coming out into a spring of hope, only for those hopes to be dashed with the threat of war escalating. And some of us may have lost courage over the last couple of years. Uh, I know people that are actually too anxious to come on a weekend like that after having been so isolated for the last two years. Some of us, over the last two years, we've lost not just courage, we've lost Christian community. 
You know, perhaps we've drifted from church, drifted from real Christian friendships where we can be real and honest with each other. Some of us feel like we've lost time. You know, two years of our life has just been swallowed up in sort of a growing fear. I won't achieve this now. I, you know, perhaps I won't get married. I won't have children. Time is just passing me by. I'm not getting any younger. Some of us have lost priorities. You know, I was clear on, on how things were ordered in my life. I was clear on where church came in my life, where family came, where exercise came, where work came, whatever it is. But I've lost a sense of what are my priorities in life. Some of us have lost direction. You know, I don't know which way I'm supposed to be going. I'm confused about my faith. I've got doubts. I've got disillusionment. I've got disappointment. Some of us have lost vision. It's like the snow has fallen and it's a whiteout in our lives. And we don't know what we're aiming for. Everything seems to be thrown up in the air. And it's because of that sense of loss and fear and mess and uncertainty that we've called this weekend Navigate. Because we want it to be a weekend to help us navigate faith in a world of doubt and navigate life in a world of mess. And that's why we called it Navigate and because we did love the boat party last September so we thought we'd keep the noise to clear. And also because you do need to navigate quite hard to find your bedroom here, don't you? Um, now, Navigating faith and life is an image that has been used in a few places over the centuries. Other than going on a cup rice skiing holiday disguised as chaplaincy in Verbier, uh, what I've done over the last couple of months is been writing a book. Uh, I'm going to speak a little bit more uh, about that in the form of a sermon series the next uh, three Sundays after this. But basically, it's, it's connected to our history at HTC of how Wilberforce and others uh, who worshipped in our church around 1800 uh, the book's about how they are a brilliant model of how to do life and how to do church in a post-pandemic world. And as part of that research, I read uh, Wilberforce's previously unpublished prayer journals. And they were incredible. They were absolutely fascinating, just seeing what were the things he prayed about. And I also read some recently discovered correspondence between John Newton, the former slave trader, writer of Amazing Grace, and Wilberforce. John Newton was older than Wilberforce. Uh, was like a mentor to him. If you didn't know, Wilberforce became a Christian age 26. Uh, Newton at the time was about age 61. And, and Newton, particularly in those early months of Wilberforce becoming a Christian, used to write him letters, sort of mentoring him. And he wrote him a letter about five months after Wilberforce had become a Christian, which recommended to Wilberforce five or six books to read as he, as he started out his faith in Jesus. And one of those uh, books that uh, John Newton recommended Wilberforce to read was a book called Spiritual Navigation. Spiritual Navigation by John Flavel. And, and basically, if you, if you read this book, uh, it was written about 100 years before uh, Newton recommended it to Wilberforce. And it's basically an evangelistic tract written particularly for sailors. Now, obviously, John Newton was exactly that, wasn't he? John Newton was a slave trader. He was a sailor. And I'm guessing that this was the track, maybe, that converted John Newton. And, and I, if I had time, I'd love to read you even more of it. It's absolutely fascinating what John Flavel writes in this book, Spiritual Navigation. A little bit's going to come up, just so you can get a taste of it. He says, how many of you are coasting to and fro from one country to another? He's writing to sailors, but never thinking of the country above, nor how you may get the merchandise thereof, which is better than the gold of Ophir. Come, sirs, I set the heavenly Jerusalem upon the point of your new compass. Make all the sail you can for it. Oh, sirs, I beg of you, if you have any regard to those precious, immortal souls of yours, which are also embarked for eternity and will quickly be at the port of heaven or hell, that you will, that you will seriously mind these things 
and learn to steer your course to heaven and improve all winds, I mean opportunities and means, to waft you thither. Now that's what we're meaning by navigate right there, perhaps a little bit less, less wafting, but apart from that. We'll take a more recent example, the amazing pastor and writer A.W. Tozer in the 20th century. He wrote a classic, A Pursuit of God. And in his book, he pictures a sailor uh, looking to navigate his boat with his sextant. And he writes this. He says, as the sailor locates his position on the sea by shooting the sun using a sextant, so we may get our moral bearings by looking at God. We must begin with God. We are right when and only when we stand in a right position relative to God and we are wrong so far and so long as we stand in any other position. So he's saying that actually as we navigate through life, we've got to get God in the right place first. And that's what we're looking to do this weekend. Now, of course, the problem with our world, our problem often with us as well, is we no longer get our bearings from God. You know, rather than sort of navigating life in response to some external authority of it or influence like God, we decide which way we will go based on our own internal desires. We go on what feels right. We look not to the heavens, but we look to our own hearts to navigate our life. So that is why we've called this navigate this weekend. So that we get our bearings in navigating life in light of God. So that Jesus Christ, so that he is our compass, if you like, not the culture. So that's why navigate. And then secondly, why 1 Peter? Well, but really because of how God's people are described in this letter. Peter wrote the letter in 63 AD. Uh, things were getting more and more challenging to be a Christian. Nero, Emperor Nero, had just come on uh, to be the Roman Emperor. Uh, he was, like, I guess, a bit of a sort of Putin-like figure. And the persecution of Christians is just building. And the letter is written to Christians, non-Jewish, Gentile Christians, spread all around what is modern-day Turkey. And look what he says. He says to them, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout these various provinces. Or again, if you go to chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, if you heard Jamie's uh, sermons a few weeks ago on Daniel, uh, he sort of teed this up in a way, because there's Daniel, you will remember, in Babylon. There's Daniel, he's in exile, he's removed from his homeland in Jerusalem. And there's Daniel having to work out how to navigate his faith, how to navigate life in the midst of exile. And Peter's taking that theme and he's applying it to the people he's writing to. He's saying they're in exile. He says their homeland is heaven and they're travellers. They're navigating their way through this time of exile here on earth, away from our home of heaven. In fact, if you go to the end of the letter, um, Peter makes uh, this point by saying he's writing the letter in Babylon. He says, I'm writing this letter from Babylon. Now, he's not actually doing that. Babylon was the city of exile that Daniel was. And he was actually writing it in Rome. But he says that to, to say, look, I recognise I'm an exile too. My home is in heaven and I'm having to live this out. And soon, actually, we know that Peter was crucified upside down for his belief in Jesus. So Peter's marking himself out as someone who's journeying as an exile in Babylon. A foreigner living in exile in a culture so opposed to the things of Jesus. 
If you think of when British uh, missionaries used to go um, to Africa or wherever it was back in the 1800s in colonial times, the danger was that the missionaries colonised the place that they went to. So they didn't just spread the gospel, but they also sort of spread, spread British colonial culture. They wiped out all the wonders of the wonderful existing local culture. You know how often you might see churches in Africa that look exactly like British ones, or you'll see photos in the past of African people having to wear all these British church clothes. The local culture was wiped out by the imposed British culture. But the danger for the people of Peter, the people Peter was writing to, and the danger for us is the very opposite. Not that we colonise the culture, but the culture colonises us. And as members of HGC, as we sort of scatter out in the world, uh, you know, throughout London, day in, day out, the danger is you and I were colonised. The danger is the culture of London, of 21st century Babylon, wipes out our Christian identity. John Mark Homer said this in his recent book, Live No Lies. He said, every follower of Jesus, in every culture, has to constantly ask the question, in what way have I assimilated to the host culture? Where have I drifted from my identity and inheritance in Jesus? The temptation, he says, for us in the West is less a drift to atheism, but more to a DIY faith that's a mix of the way of Jesus, consumerism, secular sexual ethics, and radical individualism. And I think that pretty much sums up the main temptation for each one of us. We're being tempted, to, we're in the danger of being colonised by a culture that is a mix of the way of Jesus, consumerism, secular sexual ethics, and radical individualism. And into that dangerous temptation, Peter's call to each one of us, to you, and to me, to each one of us, is that we be exiles in Babylon. That we navigate this world in such a way that as foreigners and exiles abstain from sinful desires that war against our soul and instead live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse of us doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now as I close, remember me and Boaz on our treacherously steep black run. Top of the mountain in Verbier, white out, people flying down the slopes, skis going everywhere, carnage. That's how life can feel at the moment. And in that moment when I was feeling lost, when I was feeling fearful, feeling weak, exhausted, thighs burning with muscle exhaustion, a bit of a mess, I gave up. And I said to Bo, look Bo, let's just take off our skis and let's just sort of try and walk or slide on our bums down the mountain. I think that's all we can do. And there's Boaz, my 14-year-old son, fourth day ever skiing, and he said to me, don't worry, Dad. Don't worry, Dad, it's okay, we, we can do it, just follow me. We'll take it slow, but follow me. And my annoyingly good at skiing son led his quaveringly old and fearful and exhausted and wobbly-legged dad down the mountain safely. He was my navigation guide. And you know, my prayer for this weekend is that this weekend can be a bit like Boaz was for me. You know, we've got uh, great speakers helping us navigate our way in the main sessions and seminars in the next couple of days. Pete Nicholas is, is speaking tomorrow morning. He's taking over from Tim Keller as the senior pastor of Redeemer Church in New York later this year. Uh, Jason Roach on Sunday. In fact, Jason and Rachel are here. Jason and Rachel, just want to stand up, if that's all right, just so we can see you are. They are here for the whole weekend. It's a wonderful happening with us. Uh, Jason is going to be speaking on a seminar tomorrow and uh, speaking in one of the main sessions on Sunday. It's a lovely to have all of your family with us. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Um, but Jason is a medical doctor by background. He advises bishops. Uh, he's planted a church on an estate in Battersea. He knows how the Christian faith connects in all segments of society. 
Then we've got H. Metters, many of you know her well, and Russell, who is the head of St. Melitis Theological College, then speaking in the seminars. They can, if you like, all be like Boaz to us this weekend. They can help us navigate the way. But you know, actually, we can be like Boaz was to me, to each other too. We don't just need sort of the speakers up the front. We cannot follow Jesus alone. And the aim of this church community of HGC, it is all about us forming deep relationships so that you and I, each one of us, can live out a counterculture to the world for the glory of God. That's what we're about as HGC. And what better time to do that than after two years of so much separation and isolation? And quite frankly, what better place to do that in the delightful environment of this delightful hotel? Let's make new friends. Let's deepen existing friendships. Let's pray for one another. Let's please be real and be honest about our struggles where we're fearful, where we're a bit of a mess, where we're feeling lost, where we need help navigating life, help navigating faith. And you know, far better, even than our spectacular speakers this weekend, we have a guide to help us navigate life. And it is God himself. The God who created us and the God who loves us. Just as I close, look back at how Peter starts his letter. The Trinity is mentioned just in those opening two verses. We are Holy Trinity clapping. And we see there that the Father shows us, the Son shed his blood for us, and the Spirit does his sanctifying work in us. And I pray as we look at God's word this weekend, I pray that we might be revering our Father in heaven. I pray that we might be rejoicing in Jesus and his death for us. And I pray, pray we might be restored by the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives so that we are ready to navigate whatever black runs we might face in life this coming year. So shall we pray? Let's pray. Why don't we stand? The band will come up and have one final song. Let's pray and before we sing. Remember those words. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Let's just take a moment to come before our Father in heaven and say, Lord God, would you pour out your grace and your peace on each one of us. And we pray tonight, particularly for those of us feeling lost, for those of us feeling fearful, we pray that this weekend would be a, a weekend when we marvel again at your grace shown to us, that we experience again your peace in our lives. And Lord, help us. Help us navigate our faith, navigate our lives. with you as the very centre. Just in that moment of quiet, why not just pray a particular prayer that you're asking God to do in your life this weekend. Just take a moment to just say, this is what I'm longing for this weekend. This is what I'm asking you to do in my life. This is where I'm asking you to help me in my faith where I'm struggling. This is where I'm asking you to help me in my life, where I'm not knowing what to do. 
Just take a moment to do that now. for each one of you, that God's grace and God's peace may be yours in abundance. Amen.